about a person where you think you know them, but then you learn something that kind of explodes the picture that you have of them in your mind. It, it actually kind of changes how you think about them and even how you act around them. Uh, I know that most of you probably think that I'm extremely cool, right? I just kind of give off this general vibe of coolness. I dress in the latest trends. Uh, out of the staff team, you kind of have, you know, characteristics of what, for me, I'm the cool one in the staff team. But I'm going to show you a picture that I think will completely change how you think about me. Have a, have a look at this. That's me in the front. You can tell because my arms are way longer than the rest of my body. That was me in primary school in, in rainbow snakeskin flare pants as part of a dance troupe dancing in front of a crowd. Any illusion of cool is shattered at that point. And sometimes you think you know someone, but then you learn something that explodes the picture you have of them in your mind. And, and it kind of changes how you respond to them, right? Now that you know I'm not cool, you'll feel more comfortable telling me your embarrassing stories. And I'm really looking forward to hearing them. So you can line up after church. I want to hear your embarrassing stories. The passage we're looking at tonight wants to do the same thing when it comes to Jesus. God wants to explode the picture you have of Jesus in your mind. You might be here tonight and you might not know anything about Jesus, and that's fine. It's great that you're here. God wants to show you how amazing Jesus is. You might be here tonight and you might be thinking, Jesus isn't a very good guy from what you've heard, or at least he's kind of this irrelevant guy. God wants to show you tonight that Jesus is better than anyone else you know. And when you really get who he is, it'll change your life. Or you might be thinking, you know, I know Jesus. I've sat in a thousand plus this one sermon. I get it. I get Jesus. God wants to explode your view of Jesus again tonight. No matter how good you think he is, he's way better. And he wants to renew your joy and your praise in the Lord. That's what God wants to do tonight. So let's get stuck in. There's kind of two missiles that Luke wants to drop on your minds to explode our view of Jesus. The first one is this. Jesus' birth is far more humiliating than you think. Have a look at verse 1. If you've got your Bibles there, it'd be great to have that open. Verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Luke starts his account of Jesus' birth by introducing this guy, Caesar Augustus. And he seems like a bit of a minor player, right? He's just the guy that gets Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem because he calls the census. But there's actually more going on. Uh, Caesar is brought up at the start of this story and he's meant to be a direct comparison to Jesus. We're meant, we're meant to look at the two of them and learn from the differences. Now, you, know, you might not know a lot about Caesar Augustus. I didn't. Let, let me give you the history that I found out. Caesar Augustus is the great nephew of Julius Caesar. You might have heard of him. Uh, Caesar Augustus was the ruler of the Roman world and he was the first Caesar to take the title Augustus. Now, that title means revered one or holy And he took on the title in an order to 
elevate his status from a man to becoming a god. He lived in great riches. He built amazing statues of himself. uh, And and he was titled, this is what they called him, the saviour of the world who brings peace. Uh, They found inscriptions saying that about this guy. He's the picture of exactly what you would expect of a man who's trying to become a god. It's extremely impressive. And then you meet Jesus, or at least you meet his parents, and it's a very different kind of picture. Far from the riches of this high-up Roman ruler, we see Mary, a pregnant, young teen fiancé who had to travel about 160 k's to get to Bethlehem while eight months pregnant. Not an elegant or dignified kind of journey. Uh, Word might have got around that she was pregnant but not yet married, uh, which could have something to do with why they couldn't find a place to stay. We don't know. What we do know is that it is not at all a scene from a Disney postcard. It's not clean and nice and beautiful. You know, until this week, I've got to confess that I've never actually properly tried to picture Jesus' birth in detail. I don't know if you have. And I I was thinking about it, it might be because I've never really tried to picture any birth in detail before, I don't know. But uh, now that Zoe's pregnant, we we recently watched One Born Every Minute. Has anyone ever seen that? It's a TV show where they kind of document kids being born and people say that childbirth is beautiful. I guess. (laughs) To be honest, it's, it's not really the first word that came to my mind when I saw this blue little alien baby coming out. It freaked me out. The words that came to my mind were... Uh, terrifying, messy, extremely painful. Uh, We're we're looking forward to this clean hospital room with a doctor and kind of all the things we need to make stuff happen in case things go wrong. Mary and Joseph were poor, alone, uneducated, trying to keep their slippery, blood-covered baby out of the animal poo as they wrapped him in swaddling cloths and just put him in whatever they could find in this rusty feeding trough. There was no child on that day who seemed to have lower prospects for his future. When you compare Jesus and Caesar, it just screams humiliation and low status. Caesar was a man who claimed to be a god and had all the riches and comfort and everything at his disposal... And yet Jesus is God who became a man, the lowest of the low in the most humiliating circumstances. Even the fact that the whole birth narrative only takes two sentences, right? If I ask you to write about Jesus' birth some today, you, you take up pages. This account, you just get, the time came to give birth and she gave birth. That's it. All of it goes to show the humble nature of Jesus' birth. But why does it matter? Why does Luke go to such lengths to show us how humble and low Jesus' birth was? Why would Jesus do something like that? It's not because he's into extreme sports and just want to challenge himself to do something hard. No, Jesus gave up holding the entire world in his hands. Gave up ruling from heaven to come into poverty. To be held helplessly by a trembling teenager in a barn covered in muck because he loves you. It shows us his heart for you. We'll see how and why exactly in the next section, but the first thing is to have your picture of Jesus exploded, that he would give up everything. 
and come into the world in this way for you. It's incredible. It's the kind of thing that's hard to wrap your head around. And there's at least two implications in light of it. The first is to be blown away by his love for you. Anyone who says Jesus hates people or is intolerant of people or is irrelevant to people, they just don't know anything about Jesus. When you get this picture of Jesus' humility, you can't help but be blown away by his love for you. See, you can know how much someone loves you by seeing how much they give up for you. And no one has given up more for you than Jesus. Have you recently stopped and just been blown away by what Jesus has given up for you in love? That's what this first section gets us to consider. The second implication is that no servant is greater than his master. See, if Jesus would become poor for our salvation, the question is, will we give up our comfort and pleasure for his glory? A danger for me is feeling like, you know, I've got a bit of a right to comfort and pleasure. But if we follow Jesus, we follow someone who gave up everything for others. And the question is, how much do we reflect the one we follow? Ecclesiastes shows us that it's a good thing to enjoy comfort and pleasure when they're there. But when we start to hold on to it too tightly, when we turn comfort into a value that starts to shape our decisions, will we stop then being like the one who we follow? When your mind is exploded by Jesus, who humbly gave up everything, you'll start to get what it's like to give up things for him. Uh, let me tell you about some people who kind of get this picture of Jesus. There's, there's a young couple who got married last year. I, I led the guy in youth group, and he's just finished his apprenticeship in carpentry, uh, and his wife works full-time in science. And they've kind of just reached that point in your career where they both can start to make some real money. You know, you kind of hit that point at some point, and... As an apprentice, you don't earn a lot, but when you're finished, you can start to earn quite a lot of money. And two weeks ago, they both just quit their jobs. In January, they'll be starting an apprenticeship at their church where they'll be earning a minimum wage for two years, both of them, to work six days a week. Why would you do that? Like, it just sounds crazy. You'd never get that kind of financial advice. You'd never do it. Unless you get this picture of who Jesus is. Now, what they're doing is far from the only kind of response you can have to Jesus. It'll look different for different people, but their attitude, where they want to be spending time figuring out how can they use their lives best for God's glory, no matter the cost to themselves. That is the right attitude that's driven by this picture of Jesus. They get it. Do you get it? How would this week be different if you really got this picture of Jesus? It's worth having to think about. The reality of Jesus' birth is far more humiliating than we think, and it shows us his heart for people. That's the first missile that Luke wants to drop into our brains to explode our picture of Jesus tonight. The second one is in verse 8 to 14. The reality of Jesus' birth is far more humiliating than we think, and yet the reality of who Jesus is is far more glorious than we know. Jesus' birth is far more humiliating than we think, yet the reality of who Jesus is is far more glorious than we know. What's so glorious about this Jesus? 
Well, an angel comes to tell us. Well, an angel comes to tell the shepherds, but we get to have a listen in. Have a look at the angel's description of Jesus in verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Saviour who is Christ the Lord. Three, three words, that's not three, three words which show that Jesus is way more glorious than whatever picture you have of him right now. Saviour, Christ the Lord. Let's look at those three words. First, Jesus is a saviour. Well, what's that? It's someone who saves you. Why do we need a saviour? Because we need saving from something. The Bible tells us that all of us need saving from sin. Sin is, at its heart, a heart problem about our rejection of God. See, God made the world. He's in charge. He rules the world. And he made us, as our loving father, to be in relationship with him and to rule the world with him over us. That's what he made us for, for us to live with God as our Father and to, for us to put him in first place of our lives. But the reality is, is that all of us actually live with ourselves in first place. We do whatever we want to do, not what God wants us to do. We live in ignorance or rejection outright of God. We're like kids who say to their father, you're dead to me. I'm going to live as though you don't exist. That's what we do to God. And that's sin. And when we live as though God's dead to us, the consequence is death for us. The penalty for sin is that we die and spend eternity away from God. It's completely awful. We can't escape it, and we need saving from it. We need a saviour. And you kind of think, well, was this a bit of of spur-of-the-moment thinking? You know, was God sitting up there and he's made the world and, hold on, things are going a bit wrong. Oh, no, people are sinning. What am I going to do? Uh, I'll chuck out Jesus. No, God had long ago promised a saviour king. This was God's plan. That's what that word Christ refers to. Christ means God's promised king. Right throughout the Old Testament, God promised that he would send someone to rule and save his people. It wasn't a spur-of-the-moment thing. This was God's plan, to send a king to save and rule the world. Saviour Christ the Lord. The angel says that this Christ is the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, that word Lord is the name for God. But here we see that the Christ is the Lord, and it's extraordinary. See, you'd expect it to say that Jesus is a saviour, The Christ, that is the promised king, he's the Christ of the Lord. He's the promised king that the Lord chose. He belongs to the Lord. But what it actually says is that the Christ is the Lord. This promised child who will save people from their sins is God himself. Born as a man. It's incredible, unthinkable, it's completely mind-blowing that God would become a man in the person of Jesus. It's incredible, and it's also completely necessary. It's exactly what we need. See, sin is a problem between humans and God. People owe a debt to God because of sin. The consequences of sin have to be paid by a human because it's a human problem between us and God. But the problem is, a human can't pay the price for someone else's sin. You can't pay for someone else's sin so that they can have life, 
Because when a human dies, you have to pay for your own sin. They can't pay for other people's sin as well. The mass doesn't add up. And so you actually need someone who doesn't have to pay for their own sin and someone who's really more valuable than a human. So you can't just pay for one person's sin, but so that you can pay for the sins of the whole world. You need someone as valuable as God, do you see? The problem is that a human needs to pay the price for sin, but God's the only one who's able to pay it. And that's why it's so significant that Jesus is a saviour, he's Christ the Lord. He was born as a man, God's promised king, and yet he is God himself, God who became a man who at the age of 33 fulfilled his life's mission. He died as both God and man at the cross. He died as a man because a man needed to die to pay the price for sin. And he died as God because only God can pay for the sins of the whole world. Do you see how incredible it is? Do you see how glorious Jesus is? Jesus is a saviour, Christ the Lord. It's incredible. Whatever picture you have of Jesus in your mind, it is not even close to being big enough. It isn't close to being glorious enough. The reality of Jesus' birth is far more humiliating than we think, and yet the reality of who Jesus is is far more glorious than we can ever know. So how do you respond to one as glorious as this? Well, the next little section, we see a bunch of characters respond when they start to see these clear pictures of Jesus. Let's have a look at them. In verse 14, we get an uncountable number of the heavenly host. They appear and sing glory to God. It's an amazing sight that heaven comes down and sings glory to this glorious one. Verse 18, the shepherds who kind of hear and see all these things, they, they go and tell everyone they can find the things they've seen and heard. And the people they tell are filled with wonder. And they marvel in amazement. They're completely blown away. Verse 19, we see Mary treasures up these things and she ponders them in her heart. She's blown away, coming to terms with the fact that she has given birth to God. And finally, verse 20, the shepherds go away glorifying, <laughs> glorifying and singing praise to God. Do you see the pattern? How do you respond? to this picture of Jesus, the saviour and king of the universe, Jesus who is the living and glorious Lord, yet who humbled himself to a humiliating and poor birth, all because he loves you. How do you respond? If you're someone who didn't really know anything about Jesus when you walked in tonight, great that you're here again. The response is to marvel and want to find out more. The person and news of Jesus is too good and too big not to want to find out more. As Randall said, we're having Christmas Eve, Christmas Day services. We'd love to see you again. We'd love to celebrate Christmas with you. And we'd love to show you more of who this glorious Jesus is. If you're someone who feels like Jesus isn't a very good guy, or that maybe he's irrelevant, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you that maybe you need to rethink that. There's actually no basis for thinking that he's a bad guy or that he hates people. He literally gave up everything because he loves you. And he's not irrelevant. He's actually the most relevant person because he came to save you from the thing you need the most. And if you're someone who already knows Jesus, 
God wants to have your mind exploded by Jesus again and to join in the heavenly host giving glory and praise to him. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to bring glory and praise to God in song. Let me pray. Father, we are blown away by the real Jesus who would give up everything, would become so low for our sake. Father, thank you that this Jesus is the Christ, that he is the saviour and that he is God. We praise you and glorify you for this wonderful news and this wonderful truth. Please explode the view of Jesus that we have in our minds. Help us to see him rightly and to respond to him as the king of all. Help us to bring you glory as you deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.